Let us pray. Give us courage to be faithful and deliver us from the lions that surround us, God. And hold me up that I might lift you up. Amen. So this is the final week of our summer worship series, Not Your Mama's Bible Stories. I cannot believe the summer's over. One of my kids has already started back to school, and the rest of them start back at some point this week. It's been a lot of fun, though, over the summer exploring these stories again, many of them that we heard maybe as kids. It's been fun to dig into them and, and see what we can discover beneath the surface. I don't know about y'all, but I've certainly discovered a depth to many of these stories that has helped me grow in my faith. Today we're going to hear another, or we did hear another story about Daniel and the lion's den. It's also from the book of Daniel. The story that we heard last week about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was also from the book of Daniel. If you were here last week, you'll remember that that story called us to be faithful to God, even in uncertain and scary times, and even with the full awareness that while God absolutely can save us from suffering, sometimes that doesn't happen. And we also learn that despite appearances, God is with us, even in our trials and our suffering. God steps right into the fire and walks alongside us and fights this cosmic battle on our behalf that promises an ultimate salvation. If you missed last Sunday, you can watch or listen online. It's on our website. So in many ways, last week's story is very similar to this week's story. They seem to preach the same message, the message that we are called to be faithful to God, even at the expense of self sometimes, as a means of witnessing faith to others so that they might come to know God, so that they might come to trust that God is working for good on their behalf, even when it doesn't look like it. Well, Daniel, he remains faithful to God in prayer, um, even when it gets really dangerous for him. Daniel lives in this dwelling that apparently has a second story, and there are these windows that open up, and he opens those windows every single day when he prays, three times a day, so that he can face the correct direction as he prays. So he's in full view of anyone who might pass by. So when Darius passes this law that he's not allowed to pray to anyone but Darius, not only does Daniel remain faithful in praying to God, but he continues to open those windows every single day, knowing that he's going to be exposed as he does so. One of the differences between last week's story and this week's story has to do with the attitude of the king that was in power at the time. Now, since Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's adventures, and between then and Daniel's lion's den, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has died, and his son has ascended to the throne. Now, his son was worse than Nebuchadnezzar ever thought of being, and so he's very quickly judged and condemned by his enemies, and so he loses the kingdom. So by today's story, there's a third king, that's in power, King Darius that Megan mentioned. 
If y'all remember when King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel and um, destroyed the temple, he also took for himself many of the ritual vessels and furniture from the temple back to Babylon with him as a means of controlling the Israelite people. And then he also very transparently and completely unapologetically took on the role of God for himself so that he could continue to control the people. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to that huge gold statue that he'd built, King Nebuchadnezzar's attitude was one of derision. He scoffed at them. He said, what God of yours is going to possibly save you from my power? He was a little bit egotistical. King Darius in today's story is much more benevolent. He does not try to be God. He loves Daniel. He esteems him highly, more highly than anyone else in his entire kingdom. One of the things that he most admires about Daniel is Daniel's faithfulness to his God. That's one of the things that he loves about Daniel. He has so much respect for him that he wants Daniel to help him rule Babylon. Well, King Darius, while he doesn't aspire to be God, he does allow himself to be manipulated by his advisors who are so jealous of Daniel they can hardly stand it. So they plant this notion in his mind that he needs the adoration of the people and he's going to compel them to pray only to him. When he does this, he seems to miss entirely the potential consequences that might come from doing this. Because when he discovers that his favorite, his beloved Daniel, continues to pray to his God, continues to be exactly who he's always been, but now is suddenly being condemned by the law that he put in place, he's devastated. He tries everything he can think of to find a loophole in that law to try and get Daniel out of this mess. And when he realizes that nothing can be done about it, with an attitude that's quite different from King Nebuchadnezzar's, King Darius, instead of declaring a challenge to Daniel's God, he declares a statement of faith in Daniel's God. He tells Daniel, surely your God will save you. The king doesn't try to control Daniel's God, but lifts him up. He's coming, he's counting on, he's actually hoping in Daniel's God, praying that God will save Daniel from Darius's own short-sightedness and stupidity. And when God does save Daniel, it's almost as if the miracle is as much for Darius as it was for Daniel because he is so overjoyed that he declares that everyone in the whole kingdom must now pray to Daniel's God. More literally, the Hebrew translates as, all people should tremble in fear, Daniel's God. So as I was looking at these two stories, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel and the lion's den juxtaposed to one another, there was something that stood out to me. It occurred to me that we can end up in a lion's den or in a fiery furnace for any number of reasons, really. I mean, sometimes it is because there's an openly egomaniacal, power-hungry king with a God complex that casts you into one because you failed to properly worship them. But sometimes 
we end up in a lion's den completely by accident. It can be the consequence of maybe good intentions, but short-sightedness or poor planning, or because we've listened to ill-intentioned or ill-equipped advisors. We can also end up in lion's dens. This happens to me quite often because we do it to ourselves. I mean, we make plans, we take action, we have a good end in mind, but along the way we suddenly discover these unintended consequences that cause harm. And then there are some lion's dens that seem inevitable. I know some people who are undergoing cancer treatments right now. Some of them are doing whatever they can possibly do to just hang on until they can get admitted into drug trials that they hope will save their lives. Lions crouch in the corners of their lives, tails twitching. One friend of mine who's been fighting cancer for many years now, she's been through several drug trials, she's an amazing witness to faith. She got a t-shirt a year or so ago that said, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> she's one of those people that stays optimistic and she prays at least three times a day. I mean, I think she's one of those people that's learned to pray ceaselessly, actually, even if she continues to live a full life each and every day. So while both Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel in the lion's den teach us about witnessing to our faith, even at the expense of self, I want to focus on a little bit different message that is in the story of Daniel. It's about the power of prayer the power of prayer to summon angels. The Hebrew word translated as angel is more accurately translated as messenger. And the biblical witness describes angels most often as bringing news of coming events. So if you think of the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary and announcing to her that she will conceive and bear a son. And then sometimes angels come to give us direction on how to proceed. That same angel comes to Joseph and says, don't worry, I know you're concerned, but you can absolutely claim Mary as your own and her son is yours. And then they offer protection sometimes. You remember an angel came to Joseph and woke him in the middle of the night and told them to flee to Egypt so that they could avoid Herod. Angels intercede for us on behalf of God. I absolutely believe in both the power of prayer and in angels. Angels are understood to be a manifestation of God, and sometimes they appear in the biblical witness as otherworldly, but most often they appear human. They look like you and me. And angels deliver. Sometimes literally, they deliver us physically from danger, and sometimes they deliver messages, messages of hope or encouragement or messages that contain wisdom or guidance. I've experienced it. I'm sure you have too. You know, there are those moments when you know something, right? You just know something that you really shouldn't know. You don't know where the knowledge came from. Sometimes it's this awareness that comes through your spirit and sort of 
oozes its way up into your consciousness, and other times it strikes like a bolt of lightning. It can be something that someone says or something that you read, something you saw perhaps, but you know, though maybe you wouldn't have described it this way, an angel has delivered a message. My dad had been having some breathing problems for a long time. This happened almost 20 years ago. He had been to countless doctors. He was diagnosed with everything from allergies to asthma to indigestion. And he had been prescribed all manner of antacids, antihistamines, inhalers. He had it all. Well, I was on the phone with him one night. I hadn't seen him in a little while. And as we talked, there was an awareness that began to creep up inside of me. It was kind of a deep sense of dis-ease, like an alarm beginning to sound. Something just wasn't right. When I asked him if anything was wrong, he said, no, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. But I didn't believe him. Lions were crouching in the shadows of my mind. I knew something wasn't right. So I started to pray. Over the previous months, my dad had begun to read the Bible more often, and he and I would talk about prayer. And so suddenly, I felt compelled to take my dad this Bible. It was a life application Bible I had found and really enjoyed, and I felt absolutely compelled to do it, like right then. I started to tremble. Y'all have probably experienced that before. I think it's maybe a rush of adrenaline or something because I'm sitting there thinking, this is completely nuts. This is crazy. And I really don't want to get in the car and drive to Fuqua Verena right now. I mean, it's after dark. It's three and a half hours away. I've got on my pajamas. He's probably fine. He says he's fine. But I just couldn't shake the feeling. So I went. He was really surprised to see me. I was surprised to see him. He looked awful. He had lost so much weight. He looked like a dead man walking, just skeletal, beneath sunken gray skin. He could barely draw breath, and his calves were swollen so big they were larger than, than his thighs. I'd had no hint from him that things had gotten so bad. I sat across from him in the living room. I was trying to figure out what to say. My eyes dropped and I noticed on the coffee table between us, lying there was a pistol. I looked from the pistol up to my dad. He said, I can't live like this anymore. The doctors can't do anything and this is hell. I have no doubt that lions were crouching in the corners of that room. Tails twitching, licking their lips, ready to pounce. So I prayed some more. And then I did the most counterintuitive thing that I could have imagined. 
I left. I left him there. Miserable and desperate and with a loaded gun. I went to my best friend's house. She lived about 30 minutes away. I burst into her living room, sobbing. I didn't know what to do. The whole thing began to pour out. My friend said, wait, hold on a minute. Let me call my neighbor. She's a physician's assistant to a pulmonary specialist at Duke University. Well, the next thing I knew, she was sitting on the couch beside me, listening to the whole story. She wanted to call my dad, so we did. She interviewed him a little bit over the phone, got a better sense of exactly what he was experiencing. And then she called the doctor that she worked for. Y'all, by this time, it had to have been close to midnight. After listening to her report, the doctor called Duke and told them to look for me and my dad, told them to admit him immediately and how to treat him, to stabilize him until he could come and see him. So I went back, I picked up my dad, we went to the ER, they immediately received him, and within half an hour, my dad had a smile on his face, which wasn't blue anymore. He could actually breathe after the treatments that they had administered. It turned out that he had COPD, end-stage emphysema, and um, congestive heart failure. And we were told that had my dad not gone to the hospital and been treated that night, he very likely would have died, even without the pistol. He was absolutely surrounded by lions and angels delivered him. They delivered an urgent and irresistible message to me, led me in a course of action that in so many ways made absolutely no sense whatsoever as they unfolded, and angels delivered me into my best friend's living room who delivered me to her neighbor and angels delivered my dad into the hands of one of the country's top transplant teams at that time. Within a week, he had been um, assessed and approved for a lung transplant. Within nine months, he had received not one, but two lungs that were pretty much perfectly matched for him. And he went on to live a very full and active life for another 10 years. Just yeah, thank you. Despite appearances, when I first arrived at his home that night, God was fighting a colossal battle on my dad's behalf, a battle that saved his life. I know that that's not always the end of the story. And I know that prayer is powerful and that angels deliver. Jesus was the most powerful witness to faith and prayer of all. And he ended up on a cross. But even that was not the end of his story. God fought an epic battle on his behalf, on behalf of us all. So that what appeared to be the end of Jesus' life turned out to be the beginning of all our lives. Because it's in Jesus, it's in his prayerful and very faithful witness 
that no matter the cost, we find the strength and the courage to remain faithful, even when times are really hard and scary. And it's in his resurrection that we find hope in the eternal nature of God's salvation. Because angels deliver. Amen.